There are elections this Saturday, which is January 13th, 2024, which you may not have heard very much about in the Western media. Although they could be uh, somewhat important to all of us, they could either be nothing at all or they could have extremely dire consequences. So which elections am I talking about? Well, of course, it is Taiwan. Now, Taiwan is a small country which themselves consider to be independent from China. The West also recognizes their independence. However, China considers them a Chinese territory in the same way that Britain considers certain places British territories. The main difference with Taiwan is that they are right on China's doorstep and China is emerging as one of the global powers in the world. We've done a lot of videos on China and how I've been talking about the dominance and how they are rising very uh, dramatically. In some regards, economically, they have a lot of problems ahead, economically, financially. But in other areas, they are going from strength to strength. Uh, one of those areas is militarily. The Chinese military is advancing quite rapidly. And although a lot of people focus purely on weapons and tanks and fighter jets and a number of soldiers, etc., here on the channel, I focused more on uh, something that isn't talked about as much, and that is the AI or the robotic side of things. Uh, drones, cyber-based uh, fighting, what we all know as cyber attacks, or in the industry is known as cyber warfare. Because as I've mentioned many times before, although we are seeing conventional warfare in uh, Ukraine and, and similar areas, I do think f quite far into the future, if we do have another major scale war, which of course I hope and pray that we don't have, that is the last thing that I would want. But I do believe that this war will not be uh, just conventional, I believe it will be cyber. And actually, if you think about the period that we're living in right now, this is one of the longest periods of peacetime that we have ever experienced, at least in our a timeline of history and knowledge. And I use the word our timeline very loosely because as many of you know, I don't believe some of the timelines that we are presented with uh, via history books. I'm somewhat of a uh, amateur scholar, I guess we can say when it comes to history, more of a hobbyist. I do love to read a lot of old books and old manuscripts, just as I did with that very successful The Great Depression Diary series where I actually got those diaries from people who lived through the Great Depression. These were things that were private diaries, private books in people's private libraries that I managed to borrow very kindly. I always say thank you to the, the families who lent me those books. Uh, completely different from the accounts that we learned in school and the things that we were, were taught by governments or at least the education system. And also remember when it comes to warfare in general, it's not the losers that write history, it is the victors. And it also tends to be true that he or they that have the greatest technology are the ones that often go on to win. Now that's not always the case, there are a lot of examples where that isn't the case, but just in general, the, the force with the greater amount of technology often overcomes even a larger foe. And I did a video as to why the US is so invested into Taiwan. 
And it's not simply because the US is concerned about the Taiwanese people and they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart, sorry to say, uh, although a lot of uh, my American friends are good, honest people, but the government, uh, well, not quite the same. There's a very big difference between the, uh, the, the American people, who I think are good people, and the American leadership. And I've said many times that one of my biggest concerns with going forward militarily is that we do see China take over Taiwan. And I'm not completely convinced that it will be a invasion, you know, a military invasion, because I've studied a lot of Chinese history. And, you know, you have some really interesting strategic books that have been written by uh, the Chinese over the years. The Art of War is one that was uh, written by Sun Tzu. I'm sure many of you have read that. Although I very much doubt Joe Biden has uh, read that book when, you know, you, you see some of the press conferences and he says, I spoke with Xi and he assures me that he does not want to uh, overtake Taiwan in any way and that he just wants good diplomatic relations. I'm like, okay, Okay, Biden, you've obviously not read that book because one of the premises of the writing is to do the complete opposite or to say the complete opposite of what your intentions are. When your enemy thinks you are far away, be near. When you are near, make him think you are far away, etc. So although there's only 23 and a half million residents of Taiwan, it is a strategic country. In fact, you look at the military bases in, in you know, Guam, you have uh, Philippines, you have Japan, there's 20,000 troops, I believe, uh, US troops just in Guam. If there was some sort of military involvement there, this really could start a whole new uh, warfare. And it won't just be a new Cold War, which I think we're already in. If you look at the espionage aspects of this, it seems like every week there's a uh, you know, Chinese national uh, who has been convicted of spying or espionage or something like that in some sort of Western country. And then we see the, the media reports or the propaganda, of course, and everything else comes out saying, these terrible Chinese, they're spying on everybody else. And, you know, as if each Western country doesn't have spies in other countries, you know, the irony of it all. Everyone is at it. This is just the way it goes in politics and warfare. But I have been reading this week a lot of the political information between China, between Taiwan, and also what the West is publishing. It's all completely different. And as I always say, you can't take any side as fact, as truth. You've got to sort of take each with a, a grain of salt and then try and figure out something in the middle. So where the US or Europe might print something like, this person has to win the Taiwanese elections and we'll do anything to make that happen. Um, otherwise, we're going to have this invasion by China and the world is going to be in chaos. Well, you take that and you say, well, hold on. Did you just say we need to meddle in an overseas election? Hmm. I'm sure we uh, hear a lot about that. And there's a lot of court cases in America. So on one side, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bad thing. But if you're doing it yourself, it's a, it's a good thing. But one thing that did make me uh, laugh quite a lot was uh, um, these, these Chinese spies, as they're being called in uh, the US. And they say, we just cannot figure out how they got in here. Even though there's reports everywhere about how these Chinese nationals get into the US, they just walk across the southern border. And no, I'm not joking. The, the numbers are quite staggering. I think it's, yeah, here we go. It's 17,800 
Chinese nationals were released into the US this year alone. And the US border force is saying that there's nothing they can do about it because this is coming down from Washington. They're not allowed to detain these people. So the thing that made me laugh about it all was that a number of these, you know, these Chinese were, uh, there's all these different stories, but this one made me laugh a little bit. And they were in this, uh, they were in diving gear. So it was quite advanced diving gear and they were near military bases. And when they were apprehended by authorities, they claimed that they were just tourists doing a little, you know, dive, looking for some fish. But then actually they needed help to find the nearest Burger King or McDonald's. And there's all these cases. And each time it says that they're asking for uh, the nearest Burger King or McDonald's. So again, there's a pattern there. It's pretty obvious to me what is going on. But then we have the BBC. So we have UK news here. And they're going with a slightly different story. And they're talking about the Chinese influence on Taiwan. And they're giving, there's about seven or eight different points here. So military presence, so flying jets near to Taiwan. And we know this is a strategy because some of the Taiwanese jets are a century old now and they don't have a lot of them versus the PLA, the People's Liberation Army jets, where they have uh, you know a lot of these things, a couple thousand at last count that are a lot more advanced. And as I mentioned earlier in the video, these are manned jets at the moment, but I think in the future they won't even be manned. They will be drones and they'll be uh, even capable of outmaneuvering human pilots would be my forecast for the future. The BBC also has boundary encroachments, intimidations towards um, political figures. Whether or not this is accurate is very hard to say. Propaganda efforts, election influence and interference. But actually, if you look at this point as well, it's, uh, you know, the, the irony of it. So how are they doing it? Well, it says that via TikTok and via social media, the Chinese are putting out just a bombardment of content. And it says that they are deliberately targeting different um, age groups based on what their preferences will be. Well, that's what everyone does. The BBC does that themselves. What do you think happens during elections in general? Do you think each person who's running for office doesn't have a strategic team behind them knowing exactly what to say to get them the votes, knowing what to say to older people, what to say to younger people, what to say to wealthy people, what to say to poorer people. Of course they do. This is not election interference. It's just election strategy. Although, yes, you can say, well, they shouldn't be doing that because China, Taiwan, they're, they're both independent nations from a Western point of view, at least. But then on the other hand, you have Western advisors from our many of our nations watching who are in Taiwan doing the same thing. So you've got a case of countries on the other side of the world influencing the Taiwanese election. You then have China right next door influencing the Taiwanese election. One is considered evil and uh, non-integral and immoral, whereas the other is considered right. Again, it's all just semantics. But I do believe that we are in this new Cold War. And I've talked, well, I talk most videos about BRICS as well and how it's now extended to 10 nations. And I think it's going to get even stronger. In fact, I, I do see, I know it's not popular opinion and people don't like it, but I'm really just sharing facts here. I'm sharing what I see 
both from a historical perspective, but also from an economical, statistical, uh, numerical perspective. The BRICS nations are growing. The developing nations are seeing much higher GDP growth than the advanced nations. And this is very normal economically, because when you become a very advanced nation, well, we won't get into all of it because there's a hundred, well, there's thousands of data points there, but it is harder to get fast growth. Whereas you go into a developing nation where let's say there isn't a lot going on there and you take all of this Western technology and political views and economical views and everything else, and you go into that nation and you start building it up there, you're obviously going to get very fast and high GDP growth. And I do believe that we've passed that tipping point in certain Western economies. Yes, I believe we can still get growth in the West, although a lot of it is zombie growth. It's not actually genuine. It comes via quantitative easing and other such measures, which then go into the, the supply, which get double accounted for GDP and other such measures. Whereas you look at what happened with China and how they grew so rapidly, it was, well, there's a lot of things, but their manufacturing base, I would say, was one of the, the key metrics that they did. And again, that was part of a very long-term strategy. It's not as if they just decided overnight, oh, let's become the factory of the world and let's start creating um, products and things that the US and the UK and Europe need. No, it was very, very calculated. But even now, what we've seen is all the people that came from the rural areas in China uh, came in to work in the cities and the factories and the, exactly what we saw with other countries before they became developed. And now what are we seeing? And I'll give you a, a good example of this, of the Chinese middle class. When I used to, I mean, currently in, in Thailand, as many of you know at the moment, and when I would come here 20 years ago, for example, I wouldn't really see any Chinese people or I wouldn't really see any uh, Indian people or African people, you know, ju just giving you some examples here. But now it's the complete opposite. Whereas before it was mainly Europeans and you'd see a couple of Americans. Now I would say without having all the tourism stats and things in front of me, just using my own observations here, I would say it's heavily Chinese now. It's heavily Southeast Asian countries. You have a lot of India and you also have some African uh, countries here as well, which I, I didn't see that previously. So what am I referring to here? I'm referring to how the middle class is growing in some of these developing nations. The GDP of these countries is growing as they're providing more of a service, not just to their own country, but to the world in general. And this is why I say we, I, I do think we've, past that tipping point. I think in the future, yes, the, the West is still going to have strength and they're still going to have the, uh, this, this large power and grasp on the world. But I, f I think eventually it will tip. I can't give you a date or a timeline of this, but I do think eventually it will tip and we will see the BRICS nations being the global power in the world. Because the other thing is the resources as well. You think that, well, the US does have a lot of resources, but we look at other countries of the European nations and they don't tend to have those resources. We've had a lot of countries who they say they, uh, they buy those resources from other nations. Well, I would say that's highly debatable when you look at what the European nations have been getting and giving in exchange for those resources. Would I say it's been a completely fair trade? Absolutely not.
Now, at the start of the video, I said how this Saturday elections could be or could have quite dire consequences for the world. And I really do mean that. I do think China is playing the long game. They genuinely do see Taiwan as part of their territory. Whether we see it the same way or not is irrelevant to the Chinese viewpoint. But my biggest concern is if there was a military as opposed to a political um, intervention in Taiwan, because the political avenue would be the easiest. You put in place someone who agrees with Beijing's stance on Taiwan and you change the public viewpoint via the media and, and propaganda and other things, you it would be quite easy for China to actually incorporate Taiwan without firing a single round. But the biggest concern I have is that it doesn't go in quite that way and that it is a military intervention. We know exactly how this is going to play out. We've seen this a lot. It would be the US coming to the defense of Taiwan. The US would then put political pressure on Japan, on Australia, on other countries to intervene as well. And this is where you could see this big breakout. So that would be my biggest concern that this would extend to more conflict in the area and this could even extend further afield. Not least of which globalization and trade routes between China and Western countries, which I think would be the biggest impact on most of our pockets. Thank you so much for watching today. Uh, take care. God bless you. God bless your family. And I'll see you on the next video.